Hey, good morning. It's great to see you all. Um, if you don't know who I am, let me introduce myself. My name is Will, and I've uh, been with Sojourn for almost four years now, and uh, I serve in a role of a church planting resident. Um, and so most of my time is actually spent out in Manassas, where we're planting New City Fellowship, uh, Lord willing, at the beginning of uh, 2017. And uh, some of you are saying, like, dang, church planting's chaotic. This dude can't even find a razor. Um, <laughs> So it's, it's busy, no time to shave, um, but the Lord is doing some uh, wonderful things out there, and uh, it's always great to come back home and, and to see you guys here uh, this morning. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7. We're continuing along the Sermon on the Mount. If you didn't bring a Bible with you and you'd like to read along, go ahead and raise your hand. We've got some folks who would like to uh, give you a copy of the Bible so you can uh, be on the same page with us, but we'll be in Matthew chapter 7. And we will be starting and finishing in verse 12. Um, Don't blink, it's a quick verse this morning. Uh, You might miss it. So Matthew chapter 7, verse 12 is where we will be. So let me pray for us. And and, uh, actually, I'll read it first, then we'll pray, and then we'll jump in. Sound good? So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law of and the prophets. Let's pray. Lord, as I just said, it's, it's good to gather um, really with my church family, and um, it's good to be here. Um, the, the sun is shining outside. Your kindness surrounds us, and Lord, I thank you for this passage, and um, as I felt like you prompted me last night as I was getting ready, this passage seems so basic and straightforward that um, we might, we might miss out your glory right in the middle of it. And so I pray on a passage that deals with our ethical relationships with one another, that we would see Christ. Um, all of us here this morning need to see Christ. And some of us this, this week have seen uh, political debate. We've seen difficulties in our homes with our families. We've seen um, challenges at work. Um, Some of us have seen things on computer screens that we shouldn't have. Um, Some of us have um, just seen a lot. But this morning, my prayer is that we would see the Son of God in all of his glory. And that as we look at him, that we would be transformed in the way that we deal with our relationships with other people. And so, living God, would you speak to us this morning? I pray for those of us in our midst who don't know you. Um, They're not a Christian I don't know what it is that has drawn them here. I'm thankful that they're here, but I pray that they would hear your voice this morning in a way that they never have before. Um, So do that, we ask this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, So as I mentioned, we're in the process of uh, planting a church out in the Manassas area, and um, with uh, starting a new church, one of the challenges that you have to deal with is, where are we going to meet? Where's our location going to be? You want to think strategically. It needs to be in a place right around the people where we're trying to reach, but it also needs to be a location that has the different amenities that we would need to carry on a service and kids' classrooms and all that kind of stuff. And so we're on the search. We find a great building right in downtown Manassas, strategic location, exactly where we want to be. And it's an old church building as well. And so uh, we pursue them to see if they rent it out. We're probably going to be meeting on Sunday evenings. And so they do, in fact, rent it out. But the one challenge with this particular location is that it's owned by an organization that I'll just say has some very, di- a very different outlook on faith, on God, on religion than we do. Um, they would espouse, basically speaking, that all religious faiths are generally the same. There's many, way to God, many ways to God. We don't want to elevate 
uh, one above another. That's just kind of the worldview that they hold. And um, by the way, you might be here this morning, and that's exactly the worldview that you hold. And I just say, I'm glad that you're here. And uh, man, I don't want to offend you. I'd love to grab a coffee and honestly share with you why we see such uniqueness in Jesus and how it is that we do believe that he is the only way to God. But that's kind of a, a separate conversation here. That's where this organization is at. And so that's a challenge that we look at, but we think we can still kind of transform the building and make it work for us anyway. Uh, so we take a tour through the building. We look at the sanctuary. I think this is going to work for us. It's going to be great. We go down in the fellowship hall. Uh, we could hold a lot of events in there. That's going to be great. The last thing we need to look at is the kids' classrooms. Um, that's a major thing, and church planting uh, seems to attract lots of young families, as we have represented here this morning, and so we've got to take, make sure the kids have a place where they can be. So we go in the kids' classroom. Uh, mostly looks good, but then I look on the wall, and I see a bit of a challenge for us, because on this wall are all kinds of different philosophies and quotes from different religions, and there's um, pictures of different, uh, like, gods. There's, like, a picture of Buddha and a picture of Krishna on there. And so I'm just thinking the mom coming to pick up her like five-year-old girl reading her Jesus storybook Bible with Krishna like looking into her eyes as she picks up her daughter. Like our goal is to attract people and I think this might be a hindrance with what we're trying to do with the church plant. So we'll have to sort that issue out, what we're going to do with this wall with all of these different views and whatnot. But as I was looking on this wall, I found something I did not expect to see in this particular organization's uh, wall. Uh, I found a Bible verse. And I'll give you all three guesses this morning as to which Bible verse it was that I found. Any guesses out there? <laughs> Matthew seven twelve, The golden rule. We've heard it countless times in our life. The, the golden rule. Treat others essentially the way that you yourself want to be treated. And it was on this thing called the golden rule diagram. And it was one amongst many other religions that had various renditions of almost the same thing, a different expression of the golden rule found in Buddhism and Hinduism and Islam and, and Judaism, different expressions of the golden rule that were there. And what the artist of this golden rule diagram seems to be communicating was that um, in the midst of all the differences that we hold with religious belief, if we could obey this one command, certainly the world would be a better place, Many of our problems would be solved. It was, from someone's point of view, sort of the pinnacle of human ethics and, and, and morals. That, that we ought to be able to come together. If we can do anything as humanity, certainly the golden rule is something that we should be able to do. Now to this uh, poster's point, um, I, I have to agree uh, to an extent. Certainly that would be wonderful if we could all adhere to this idea of treating others the way that we want to be treated. But as I looked at this poster and considered it a little bit more, I think I saw a flaw with what they were trying to communicate. The, the issue with the golden rule poster, with all the various renditions on it, was not uh, so much the essence of this command to treat others the way you want to be treated. I think the issue was a belief that we would simply be able to carry it out on our own. That this is within our grasp, that we can obey the golden rule with our own strength, through our own efforts, left to ourselves. And I just think that the author of this particular poster was way too optimistic about human nature and, and how we are and how we're wired to be able to simply carry this out. Because offering kindness, offering respect, after offering goodwill to other people, especially people who are different than us, uh, is, is far, far beyond our reach all you need is an election year in, you, in the United States and social media to see that, right? Uh, treating people with uh, difference, differences of opinion. Um, the golden rule seems to go out the window. When our, when our differences become apparent or our feelings get hurt 
or people say or do things that we don't like, uh, the golden rule, as I've been arguing, seems to be well beyond our grasp. It may seem like a very simple, basic, ethical call that is simply beyond our ability to do in and of ourselves. And so here's my argument for us this morning. This is what I want to lay before us. I simply want to contend that for us to even do this baseline ethical call to treat others as the way we would want to be treated, we need Jesus for it. We simply cannot do it without him. Without believing in who he is and what he's done on our behalf, this basic golden rule is beyond our grasp. And in order to do that, let me just kind of lay out how I want to uh, spend our time this morning. The first thing I want to talk about is simply that, why it is that I think this is beyond our ability, why this is uh, beyond our grasp, and why we struggle so hard with this. And then secondly, I want to I show why it is that Jesus and how it is that Jesus enables us to follow the golden rule. And then lastly, I want to consider together um, what it would look like in our midst practically if we were to carry out the golden rule in our various relationships. So those are the three, three things that I want to talk about. That's where we're headed. Before we do that, I just want to make sure that we get on the same page with what Jesus is actually calling us to here, though, um, and then we'll jump in our dif- with our difficulty with it. Um, I want to make sure we're on the same page with what Jesus is saying here. He says, uh, I'll just read it one more time, Matthew seven twelve. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, this is not a prohibition, but this is actually a call to action. When I, when I first read this, I'll be honest with you, and I think many of us take the golden rule as a prohibition. In other words, um, restricting uh, doing harmful things to other people. If you wouldn't want it to be done uh, to them, uh, or if you wouldn't want it done to yourself, don't do it to them. But that's not what Jesus just said here. He, he called us to do something. Um, if, you're, if you're parents, I think you take it in the negative sense all the time in your home. Like I can think of a scenario where uh, hanging out, watching a movie. My three-year-old daughter is um, not too into movies. She's a little ADD and is all over the place. And so uh, her brother's laying there watching it. Instead of stepping over him, she steps right on his face and goes uh, to wherever point, whatever point she was trying to get to. And so as a parent, I employ what I think the golden rule is at that moment. Hey, Emily, do you want someone to step on your face when you are watching a movie or playing with your toys? probably not, so please don't do that to your brother. And that's kind of how we take the golden rule, but that's only half of the battle. That's actually the easy part, to, to, to not do uh, to other people what you wouldn't want, want done to yourself. But this is not just a um, rule prohibiting ill behavior to people. Um, this is a call to seek their well-being. This is a call to action, to not just harm them, but to also seek their well-being. It's essentially saying, you know all the effort that you put into your own well-being uh, to be taken care of for yourself? Apply that same effort to other people. Apply that same effort to other people. The reason that I think that, first of all, is look at the context of what Jesus is doing here. We're in Matthew 7. The previous week, we looked at this passage on prayer and on seeking the Father. And it says at the end of it, essentially, that when we make requests of God, that he's a good Father who loves to give us good gifts and loves to respond to our requests with action. Immediately following that, Jesus drops in the golden rule, subsequently taking the type of way that God deals with us, thinking in the same way that we should be able to deal with people. The second reason that I see this as calling us to a specific action is that it sounds suspiciously close to Paul's words in Galatians 6, 2, where he says, bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens, and in so doing, you fulfill the law of Christ. Very similar to what we hear right here. So this is, um, practically speaking, not just a call to not respond with insults to your um, offensively speaking uh, political opponent on election day, But this would be a call to uh, bring him a cup of coffee as well. 
Does that, does that make sense? Um, this is not just a call to refrain from causing injustice to people, but this is a call to seek to serve and help those who have fallen in uh, justice, fallen victim to injustice. So it's a call to action. It's a call to seek the well-being of other people in the same manner that we would seek our own well-being. This is, this is what Jesus is inviting us to here. And let me uh, just put it down again that I'm, I'm submitting to us that we are unable to follow this rule without Jesus and what he's done for us, which if you're here this morning and you don't really have a, a church background, maybe that sounds a little bit arrogant to you, sounds exclusive. Maybe you're actually relatively optimistic that certainly if so many world religions embrace this idea of treating others as the way you would want to be treated, certainly we could take steps in this direction. Um, but, but let me submit to you that this cannot be done without Jesus. And there was a man named Langdon Gilkey who was born in the early part of the 1900s, who held a very similar perspective. He was very optimistic about uh, kind of the turn of the century and all of the good that we could do with, through humanism and secularism. Um, and he's uh, talked about, in Tim Keller's recent book, Making Sense of God, um, and I want to kind of walk through the argument that, 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 or what's laid out in Tim Keller's book here. It's a great book. If you don't have it, you should go grab it, uh, the book Making Sense of God. But Langdon Gilkey, born 1919, he was uh, raised in one of the most educated and enlightened environments that you can think of. His parents, his mom and dad, were on the faculty of the University of Chicago, got great grades all through school, and then went on to Harvard to study philosophy. After he graduated from Harvard, he went to China um, in the, uh, again, about 1939, I believe, uh, to teach English at the, at the University of China. So Langdon Gilkey, raised in this great environment, goes to China. And it's important to note the type of perspective that he held as he went to China. He held the common humanistic belief that through rationality and the goodness of human beings, we would be able to solve many of the issues that we see in the world many of the issues that we see in the world. And he wasn't just optimistic about our ability to do good to mankind. He actually uh, saw no need for religion or God involved in it at all for us to do so. He was quoted on one occasion saying, uh, why add religious frills to ethical commitments like peace and justice in society? He, he actually thought that belief in God was a distraction from basic things like the golden rule. So that's the perspective that he comes to China with. And then World War II breaks out. And uh, Langdon Gilkey and 2,000 other Westerners were taken from the, the university area where they were, put in an internment camp in China, um, 2,000 of them in, a, in a, about a, the space of a um, regular-sized city block. Um, to give you some perspective as to how crammed all of these people were into this one place, into this uh, prison camp, they said that 2,000 people shared 20 toilets. 2,000 people, 20 toilets. Not a pretty picture, right? That's how crammed and, and, and tight it was that they were in China. And this uh, internment camp was surrounded by electric fences. There were guard towers with guns on them all the time. They lived in a constant state of fear uh, for what might happen to them. And they got a vivid picture of human nature while they spent their time in this internment camp. Um, he described that things got really, really ugly. Um, it started that he saw an incredible amount of human ingenuity under these dire circumstances to see people be able to survive. The kinds of things that they did to make it through was incredible. But he also saw people begin to do things like steal coal, steal food. Fights were breaking out all over the camp, left and right. Um, there was a crisis of human character on a daily basis. 
And it was in this moment of desperation that real human nature was brought to the surface. And what Gilkey noticed was that we are a remarkably selfish class of people. Remarkably selfish. As Gilkey continued this up-close encounter with human nature, his optimism about all the good that we could do came to a screeching halt. Regardless of how much technological or academic advancement there was, there was still the problem of human selfishness. said that Gilkey went on months later faced with the same self-centered intractability, namely that fundamental bent of the total self, all of us uh, that, that, that seeks our own welfare, and so immersed are we, here's the key, so immersed are we in it that we're hardly able to even see our selfishness in ourselves, much less extricate ourselves from the dilemma. He said, some power within seemed to always drive us to uh, promote our own interest against those of our neighbor. So Gilkey's conclusion, after coming with such optimism about our ability to solve the human dilemma, uh, came to a screeching halt. Mind you, as he looked at human nature in a more up-close educated human nature in a more up-close and personal way than any of us ever will, he recognized that we are far too selfish left to ourselves to fulfill the golden rule. Far too selfish. Left to ourselves, friends, left to ourselves, we always put ourselves first. We always put ourselves first. And you may be saying to me this morning, yeah, but there's plenty of good uh, causes out there and humanitarian efforts that are done by people who aren't religious at all, let alone Christian. Why, why is that so unique? Well, two things. First, we've already noticed in the Sermon on the Mount our propensity in chapter 6 to use things like humanitarian aid or charity to cure praise for ourselves. If you remember that Jesus addressed that problem, that, that we are more likely to carry out charitable action to be seen as people who serve the poor rather than simply doing it to serve the poor. But, but even beyond that, even if our, our charity is done in secret or our humanitarian efforts um, are often done to acquire self-fulfillment for ourselves or a sense of self-worth through our charity. So we're not only helping people out of love for them, but we are sometimes using charity as a means to fulfill and love ourselves. Does that make sense? Sometimes we use charitable causes to find self-fulfillment when really it's to, the end goal is our, own, is our own well-being. And so one, one more challenge I think that I would say to this idea that we can simply fulfill the golden rule in and of ourselves is this. Um, not only do we lack the ability to constantly meet the needs of other people like we're called to here, we actually usually take the golden rule to the opposite extreme, don't we? Um, we, we not only meet our own needs, we, we take it to the opposite extreme um, of, 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 of instead of not just being passive towards the needs of others, we're actually active agents of harm for them, right? Like how many of us in this room on a regular basis have caused harm to other people through the words that we've spoken, demeaning them, uh, making them feel small either to their face or behind their back? Um, how many of us are prone to looking at human beings as an object to fulfill our own lust rather than uh, people made in the image of God with intrinsic value? How quick are we to look down on other classes and races and cultures viewing ourselves as superior? We, we not only lack the ability to do unto others what we would want have, to have them do to us, but we actually do things to other people that we would never want done to us, Right? Like, all of us have this record, and so this is the challenge that we find ourselves in 
unable to fulfill the golden rule, and this is exactly the place that the Lord Jesus meets us, and he redeems us, and he transforms us so that we can treat others in the way that we ourselves would want to be treated. So let's talk, how does Jesus enable us to fulfill the golden rule? What's the relationship between what he's done and how he relates to us as his people that enables us to fulfill this, that enables us to serve other people in this regard? Three things, three ways that I want to talk about this morning. There's probably a lot more, but at least three. Um, the first is, is by God's grace, when we encounter God's grace, we're freed to selflessly serve people. We're freed to selflessly serve people. Um, all of us are on an unending quest for value, for meaning, something that we can say that our life is significant, something that we can say that we really matter as people. Um, the reason that we look for this value is because we've lost it from God because of our sin. We've rejected the one person's affirmation that we actually truly need, and we look for it in all kinds of other places. So sometimes we try to find meaning and value in our reason for living in our jobs. We have a good job. We have a sense of feeling powerful. People respect us, and because I have that job, I'm important. Or maybe we use it through romance or sex. The sense of being viewed as beautiful or wanted or desired gives us this sense of value and meaning and and importance, right? But sometimes, as we mentioned just a second ago, we can use charitable causes as a means for finding fulfillment for ourselves. We can use charitable causes in that way. So so here's what can happen. Um, Helping people can make us feel important, Helping people can make us feel wanted. Helping people can even ease a sense of guilt that we might carry. So in an odd way, we can use people who are impoverished in some regard as a means for uh, securing a sense of self-worth through our service to them. Or maybe we religiously use them as a means to acquire a reward from God. So this ends up dehumanizing suffering people even more because now we're using them as a project to find our own self-fulfillment. Do you see the flaw in that? We use people through our charitable causes as a means for finding our own self-fulfillment. And in a weird way, we end up serving ourselves through a mask of serving other people. And so how does, how does what Jesus has done transform us how, in that? How does he allow us to freely serve other people? Here's how. Jesus comes to us, on the other hand, and he meets us in his grace, and he says, I'm giving you all the value, all the honor, all the dignity and acceptance that you could ever want, not because you've earned it through helping people. I give it to you freely in grace by sending Jesus to die in your place so that you can be fully accepted, no holding back, fully accepted to God. So we gain our our approval not by working hard or helping the poor or being kind. He says, I give you my love and my full approval by grace. So how does this then set us free to serve other people? Because I'm not helping you to find a a sense of personal fulfillment or so that you'll like me or that I'll be well thought of by onlookers. I'm seeking your good simply because I love you. My service to you doesn't give me something, doesn't fill some need that I have deep inside of me. I don't need your approval. I don't need your praise. I already have that in Jesus. The deepest needs of my soul are already met in him. So I'm set up to to, to freely uh, and, and, and graciously serve. So that's the first way that Jesus sets us free to serve other people. Um, It was Reformation Day last week, so I thought I'd bring a Martin Luther quote here with me. He's going to capture this really well. Listen closely. Uh, He says, um, 
Here in this, uh, faith is truly active through love. That is, it finds expression in works of the freest service. So he says that Christians can serve people freely without needing something uh, in in return. They can serve them freely, uh, cheerfully, and done lovingly um, with which a man willingly serves another without the hope of reward and for himself he is satisfied with the fullness of his faith and what, excuse me, he himself is satisfied with the fullness and wealth of his own faith. So we can freely serve other people knowing that we don't need something from them because we're already satisfied by faith in Jesus. Keller's going to put it a little bit more simply. He says simply, we need new hearts. We need new hearts. We need something that draws us out of our desperate search for self-fulfillment, affirmation, and value, and makes us capable of loving other beings, not for our sake, but for theirs. Not for our sake, but for theirs. And all of that fulfillment, all of that approval and praise is ours in and through Jesus. So that's the first way that he sets us free to fulfill the golden rule because we can take our eyes off ourselves because we're already satisfied and we can turn it to seeking the well-being of other people. Um, The second way that Jesus enables us to fulfill this golden rule um, is by giving us a perfect example to follow in fulfilling the golden rule. Um, Our passage was so short. Let's read a little more scripture this morning. Turn over to Philippians 2. Philippians chapter 2. Um, we'll start in, uh, in verse 2, and I'm going to read, read this chapter. Consider the example that Jesus gives us of honoring the, the, the golden rule, perhaps even taking it further. Um, Paul exhorts the Philippian church. He says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, uh, doing, or having the same love, being in full accord with one another and of one mind. Here's, a, here's the key. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility... Count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So there's the call, the first part of it. Paul calls us in another rendition of putting others before ourselves, um, putting ourselves down so that we can take care of the, other need, the needs of other people. He calls us to that, but then look at the example that he gives us for how it was carried out in Jesus in verse 4. Um, in verse 5, have this same mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Friends, Jesus' whole life was a constant fulfillment of the golden rule. He left everything aside, everything that was rightly his, and he put the needs of other people before his own. We see that in the way that he deals with hunger with the people who are around him and his concern for those who are impoverished. We see it in the way that he dealt with those who were outcasts, rejected by society, putting their needs for acceptance and approval before his own. Then we see it most of all by him dying on the place, dying the death that we should have died so that we could be forgiven of all of our self-serving, 
putting our needs before his own. In Jesus, friends, we have a Lord who gives us a perfect example of the fulfillment of the golden rule. So if you struggle with this, if you struggle with seeking your own needs before the needs of others, look to Jesus. Read his account. Read, read the account of his life and look at someone who is constantly employing this idea of putting uh, the needs of others before his own, treating other people better, I'd say, than he himself would, would want to be treated. So, so in Jesus, he, he frees us in his grace to freely serve other people. Secondly, he gives us an example to follow in honoring the golden rule. And then the third thing that Jesus does for us, the way that he enables us to do this, is that he forgives us of all the times that we've gone the opposite way and, and hurt people rather than seeking their good. So we've said, all of us tend to do the opposite of the golden rule. We do things to people. We do things to people that we would never want done to us. And all of us, if we're honest, have caused damage in people's lives uh, at our own hands or through our own mouths. Let, let me just ask us this morning, just for a second of reflection, how many people walk planet Earth to this day who carry some sort of scar, some sort of damage, uh, some sort of difficulty that we ourselves have caused them? How many people have we done things to that we would never want done to ourselves? How have we used our words to, to, to damage people and, and affect the way that they are today? Um, what emotional or verbal or physical abuse even have we caused to people um, that are made in God's very image, precious people made in God's image? Man, parents, I know you guys are with me on this. How many times have we been harsh, quick-tempered, um, cruel even to our own kids when they, get, when they irritate us a little bit? I think all of us are guilty. Let, let me go a little bit deeper um, on this and, and talk to even some of the men in here, particularly men who are in college right now. How many of us have found a girl and treated them like an item to be consumed and maybe through the use of alcohol, maybe not, maybe meeting some emotional need they had, uh, used them sexually, um, disposed of them, and moved on with our lives? How many of us are guilty of these kinds of things in, in this room? All of us, just being real, all of us have a record of doing things to people that we would never want done to ourselves. And yet, here's what happens. Instead of us receiving the punishment that we should and rightly get for that, Jesus, who always treated other people uh, better than they deserved, who always operated rightly in his relationships, who went to the least of these, to the least and the lowest of society and, and gave himself for them, Rather than us hanging up on a cross, Jesus hangs up on a cross in our place. Those of us who flip the golden rule on its head and cause such harm to people, whatever the case might be, Jesus takes the punishment for our, in our place for that and gives us his righteousness so that we're viewed as people who have always nailed it on the head with the golden rule. That, my friends, is how Jesus enables us to honor this, enables us to fulfill the golden rule. He frees us by his grace to serve other people. He, he gives us an example to follow. And then lastly, he accepts us and forgives us, even though we've caused such damage to people. That's the good news of the gospel that we celebrate this morning. Amen. So, so that's how Jesus enables us to do it. Let's, let's close lastly and uh, just talk about what this might look, um, practically speaking, if we were to execute the golden rule on, on a practical level. What might this look like in our midst? 
Um, this is really challenging for me. Like I was telling, I told someone yesterday that, uh, you know, we're preaching on the golden rule and I'm thinking it's a really small passage, but they, they said, oh man, that's huge. And they're right because like the golden rule, we could apply that 10 million different ways. And, and so there's so many ways that we could talk about this and, and frame this up. So I just wanted to lay a few categories down and like just throw a few things out there and maybe the Lord will prompt you and convict you of what this might look like in your life. Um, but a few ways that I think we need to think about the golden rule. The first is at home, um, whether you are, maybe you have roommates or with our families. When we start talking about doing good to other people, treating them as we would want to be treated, maybe you're like me and your mind kind of runs towards these big picture like missionary endeavors, like ways that we can really make a difference in the world, where sometimes where the rubber really meets the road for us with this command is in the ordinary day-to-day aspects of our everyday life, right? It's, it's in the context of our kids, our spouses, our roommates, um, that, that's where the, the real test of if we're going to follow this comes through or not. So, um, man, men, let me, let me just ask us this. How many of our wives who have kids and they're caring for them all day, uh, maybe they just need a night out. Maybe that's what it looks like in your home uh, to fulfill the golden rule this week. They just need a break. You've got the kids. You're going to uh, just make that work, play a movie if you need to, whatever. Just give mom a night out. Maybe, maybe that's what lo- that this looks like for you. Um, Maybe it's a responsiveness to just basic needs around the house. Putting someone, else before our, putting someone else before ourselves by emptying the dishwasher, even if it wasn't loaded the right way. Like, that's a big issue in my house. Even if it wasn't loaded, emptying the dishwasher, taking the trash out, doing basic things like that. Like, sometimes Christian obedience, friends, isn't just in these, like, extraordinary ways, but in the ordinary, everyday parts of our lives where honoring something like the golden rule can, can really manifest itself. So maybe there's an aspect at home with your roommates or something like that that this needs to take root, right? Um, but, but not just at home. I also want us to think about it in the context of church as well. What would it look like in the midst of our church to put other people's needs before our own? What, what would that look like? A, a couple categories under that. First, service-wise, and then, then secondly, relationally. So, so service-wise, let me just exhort you guys to this. If you've called Sojourn your church home, you've been coming here for a long time, and you are not serving here in some way or in some capacity, there's something wrong with that. If this is your church home, you should be plugged in either on setup team, uh, helping out with kids, um, doing something where when you come to church, you're thinking about how can I put someone else's needs above my own by me setting aside a Sunday to help make this thing happen basic ways. There's all kinds of service needs that you guys could step into to help make this happen. So, so there's service categories with this needs, but there's also relational categories. Um, let me ask you this. As you guys come to Sojourn, are you guys thinking in, in that morning you get out of the car, you're walking up here, um, that I'm going to go to my friends, the people that I know, the people that I'm comfortable with, I'm going to check in with them, I'm going to go grab a seat, and that's going to be it. Or are you actively thinking, how might I use my morning here at Sojourn to make someone else feel welcome and important here? How how might I put someone else's needs above and before my own by simply reaching out to someone that I've never met before, asking them about their life, what's important to them, tell me about your upbringing, tell me who you are, like valuing people and not just running to the people we know. I'll be honest with you guys. I was in a conversation with someone recently who started coming to Sojourn later in the game. Some of us have been here since the beginning. Others have jumped in later. And, and they said that their personal experience was that at times Sojourn felt a little bit cliquish. That's what they told me. I don't think that's the case across the board, but man, that's a danger for all of us to fall into, right? Like where we just come and it's just comfortable and easy to talk to the people that we know rather than making this one of the most hospitable environments in Fairfax 
we, we kind of just gravitate uh, gravitate and, and serve to the people we know and serve ourselves. So I just want to exhort you guys in that. I'm not trying to uh, heap judgment. I'm just saying that's a danger that we could fall into. One way that we can manifest the golden rule is by coming to church and thinking about how we can make other people feel welcome. So um, family in the context of our church. Let me also talk relationally about the way we might bring issues up that we see in people's lives to people. Um, so the golden rule says treat other people in the way that you yourself would want to be treated. And so a few weeks ago, uh, we, we went through um, bringing up issues in people's lives that we see, helping confront them, pointing out um, perhaps the speck that we see in their eye, if you remember that. Well, what would it look like to address those conversations uh, and deal with those issues uh, in the same way that we would want someone to deal with them in our lives? Like, because we all have specks in our eye or logs uh, for, for the analogy, uh, what would it look like for us to approach people with the same type of grace and patience that we ourselves would want? I think there's a lot of ways that we could apply this relationally in our church. Lastly, let me talk about what would it look like in our world? So home, in our church, and in the last category to think, what would it look like in our world, in the broader Fairfax area, for us to seek to honor the golden rule? Um, I was recently at a conference in uh, North Carolina, and uh, they were kind of there just encouraging churches, encouraging pastors, and uh, one of the pastors told a story about a time where they're in uh, kind of the Raleigh area where he was invited, a uh, white pastor, to be the keynote speaker at the um, Martin Luther King Day celebration. He was going to be the one kind of giving the address. And uh, this was a real honor for him. And he said that he was honestly very nervous going into it because he's like, man, I'm a, I'm a white man. Like the, there are, I'm, sh- I'm sure, far more better and qualified people who could speak at this. And so he went up to one of the people who's coordinating the events was just like, hey, listen, I'm really thankful to be here. But can you tell me like, why am I here? Why did you guys invite me? And they responded, oh, you don't know? It's, we had a meeting and, and, and we thought to ourselves, um, with this particular church, everywhere there's some sort of brokenness in our city, we see members of your church there. Everywhere we see things falling apart, darkness in our city, people from your church are there, so we wanted to invite you to come and speak at this event. And he described that several years earlier, that pastor had sat down and had a meeting with the mayor and asked this question, hey, what's broken in your city and what can we do as a church to help? What's broken in your city and what can we do as a church to help? And as a response, as a result, the people of that particular church just scattered themselves in all of these difficult and broken areas and had a real presence of renewal and redemption in those dark places. So what would it look like for us to ask questions in the Fairfax areas, in the, in the Fairfax area, what's broken in this city and how can I take this golden rule and go apply it to the people who are there? In, in the schools, in um, areas of poverty, victim services, I'd just commend this church and say, Actually, so, through Sojourn's history, we've done a fantastic job of serving some of the needs in that. But this is a reminder for us to stay engaged with that and to still seek the good of the city that we live in. Amen? Um, what are the broken areas of this city and how might we approach it with, with the golden rule? Um, let, let's close. We're going to come to communion in just a moment here. You know, where do you find the motive? Where do you find the motive to treat other people like this, to seek other people's well-being in the sa- with the same amount of effort that you do for yourself? I think a great place to find the motive for it is to remember when it's been done on your behalf, when someone has put their needs uh, behind yours and done something to really make a difference in your life. And as we come to the table, we're reminded of how Jesus, um, in, an, in an extraordinary way, put our needs before his own. And when we were helpless, when we could not do anything to save ourselves, Jesus stepped in, 
He died on the cross for us, taking the punishment that we owe uh, for our sin so that we could be reconciled to God and have a renewed and right relationship with him. When we come to the communion table, this is a meal of remembrance. We're able to remember what's been done on our behalf. And in so doing, we find the grace and the motivation to pursue people um, in love that we're talking about um, here with the Sermon on the Mount. So in just a moment, let me invite you to come forward and just remember during this time as we take this meal what Jesus has done and how that's made such a difference for us. Um, Let me lastly just say, I know that there are some of you who are here this morning and you're not a Christian. You, you, You don't follow Jesus you're not trusting him with your life. Um, you're not uh, following his commands, and, and uh, that's just the spot that you're in. First of all, I just want to reiterate, we really are glad that you're here this morning. I know it can feel weird and out of place where you're at. Um, some of us, I'd just let you know, sat in the very same seats where you're at right now at this moment with doubts, with questions um, about the person of Jesus and what he's done. Um, and so what I want to just invite you to do, instead of coming forward to the table this morning, um, is just to hang out in your seat not trying to be exclusive or to keep you out of it, but uh, by coming to this meal, we're saying that we believe that Jesus has died for us and that's our only hope to find a right standing with God. Um, And if you don't believe that, then this is just kind of some bread and juice for you. But instead, like I would invite you to sit and reflect on what Jesus has done. Maybe as I've mentioned, maybe you might be here this morning and you yourself have caused some significant damage in people's lives, maybe in loved ones' lives. What I want you to know is that there is hope for you in Jesus to find forgiveness and to have that record completely wiped clean. And so instead of coming forward to the table, let me invite you to look to Jesus and to believe in what he's done for you, to believe that he died for you this morning and to turn from your life apart from God, embracing Jesus as your only hope. So that's my invitation to you this morning. Instead of coming to the table, hang out in your seats. And um, if you, anything that I've said this morning, if you have any questions about what I've said, I'd be happy to talk with you afterwards. So let me close in prayer. And then when you guys are ready, go ahead and come forward uh, to the table here. Lord, thanks for this morning, and uh, thank you for your word. Um, we struggle to obey uh, even the, base, the most basic of your commands. We struggle with them, and we often go to the opposite extreme. And so we come to you this morning for forgiveness. We come to you for grace. Uh, we come for you, to you for the motive to even carry out passages like Matthew seven twelve and Philippians 2. And so would you remind us now what you've done on our behalf, how you put our most deep and desperate need before your own by dying for us? Would you remind us of that this morning and um, draw us into yourself as we come forward to this meal? Pray for our friends this morning who are here that don't know you. Pray that you would prompt them and convict them at this time. Demonstrate what incredible hope there is in your son, that all of their sins can be wiped clean through Jesus. I pray that you would uh, make that clear this morning. And so we love you. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.